Welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast, the space where we explore common misunderstandings of how life works, allowing us to gain new perspectives on health, wealth, relationships, and much more. Life doesn't have to be hard work. It can be a flowing collection of experiences if we learn some simple truths about how our experience is created. Through this understanding, we realize that at a fundamental level, we are all already whole and perfect. Hey Greg, welcome to Misunderstandings of the Mind podcast. Nice to have you on board. Nice to be here, Jason. Great. So today's episode is about addiction and I've been really looking forward to talking about this because it's a a subject that's very dear to my heart, you know, and I had a lot of my own experience with. Um, so I guess I'd love to start off seeing, you know, there seems to be so many concepts, you know, I, I'm guessing they're called concepts because until people see them clearly, that's all they are, you know, about what addiction is, you know, whether it's a disease, a spiritual malady, it seems to, there seems to be lots of ideas about what it is and how you need to recover from it, you know. So I'd love to hear from you, you know, how you see addiction, you know, what, what is it? Okay, well, addiction to me is, it's just, it's, it's a way of our own innate health that place inside of us that is always well. It's a way for that to kind of come out. And there's an, there's an innocence to a misuse of a way to bring that out. Where, you know, for instance, like a, for most people with addiction, it usually starts with feeling some sort of way that we don't like to feel. We're anxious, we're depressed, we're, you know, there's something going on that, that society tells us we shouldn't be feeling. And it doesn't feel nice. So we reach out for something to ease that. And... Some people do healthy things. They get into playing sports. They get exercise. They hang out with friends. They do positive things. But other people, what's in front of them may be drugs. It may be alcohol. It may be gambling or shopping or promiscuous sex or, or any of these sorts of things. And what, what happens over time is our, our brains are, are really efficient machines. You have to remember, we supply the programming. The brains are like the computer, and we're supplying this programming to it. And the programming that we're supplying says that when I feel out of sorts, when I feel a way that I really don't like to feel, all I have to do is reach out for this substance or this, this action, and I'll feel better even if it is only for a short time. And our, our brains pick up on that, and it becomes this subconscious thought pattern, which is why it looks like it's out of our control, like it's not a choice. But what I, what I like to challenge people when I'm working with people <clears throat> is, you know, because it, it, relapse or, or, or regression, whatever you want to call it, is a natural part of moving forward. It, all it means is that you step back into the old habit. And, you know, chances are it's going to happen for a lot of people at first who are trying to get over an addiction. And what I challenge people to do is, you know, if that happens for them, 
to pay attention to when they actually start feeling better. For instance, like if it's, if it's a drink, okay, is it, do you start feeling better when you make the decision that you're going to go drink? Or is it when you get to the bar or the, the store to buy the, the liquor? Or is it when you actually have it in your mouth or in your body or when you start feeling the effects from it? At what point do you actually start feeling that relief? And every person that's come back to me and reported back has said that they always feel better after they've made the decision. Yeah. It's usually when they're in the car on the way to the pub or to the store or to their drug dealer or whatever that they start feeling better. And that, that's key right there because that tells you it's not the substance and it's not the behavior that's actually causing those good feelings. Those good feelings are within us all along. And what we're doing with these substances and whatnot is we're, we're causing a distraction from our thinking. So that for that moment in time, we're not caught up in all of those what ifs and the, you know, the story of me. You know, what's going to happen if, if, if I don't act this way because that's who I am. And that's who I am because I had, you know, this happened to me in childhood or, you know, that's just the way my parents were. So that's the way I am now. And while that may be true in, to a certain extent at first, after a period of time of being away from something like that, whatever happened to us or whatever uh, ideology we were taught or, or whatever is really our choice now. It may not look like it because things become subconscious and they kind of become that invisible thought pattern. But it's, I, I do not believe addiction is a disease. And even if it is, it's no more of a disease than, than a cold or the flu. It's not incurable. And we can live happy, healthy, normal lives. Yeah, I love that point about the about the physic the physical part of it because I remember I asked you that question quite a, quite a while ago on a, on a webinar and it's and and when you were talking then you know I, I knew what you were going to say I knew you was going to say it was at the decision because it's like it stuck in my mind uh, my own experience that when you asked me that it's like I knew that as soon as I rang the phone um, to go and buy drugs that. Um, I felt better you know it was like instantaneously I was like okay again then all, all the hours and or days of sleepless nights or whatever had gone away and I felt better but I hadn't put any substance in my body right and yet you still attribute the better feelings to that substance yeah and it's innocent all, all of it is innocent Yes, there's no need to be hard on ourselves for it or beat ourselves up over things. In fact, all that does is is add more to those bad feelings we don't like. And it just makes us that much more likely to reach out and find that substance that we like. <laughs> yeah. That's the crazy thing about it, is is one of the one of the biggest keys to overcoming addiction is learning to be gentle with ourselves and learning to realize that we're only ever doing the best we can in any given moment. It doesn't mean that in hindsight, we can't look back and see the decisions we made and go, Oh yeah, I probably could have made a better choice. But in that moment, that was the only choice that really made sense. 
because of the story we had going on in our minds. You know, one of the one of the keys, you know, Sid Banks talked a lot about having a, a being in the silence and, and, and that space without thought and, and all that kind of stuff. And it really hit me. It's like the, what he was talking about, the silence, it's always there. That, that peace of mind that we're craving, that serenity, it's always present. It's just that the silence is covered up by noise. You can't hear the silence when there's noise going on. And that noise is self-created. And that's actually good news because if we've created the problem, if you want to call it a problem, then guess what? We're also the solution. We don't have to wait for anything or anybody else to change for us to be healthier and happier. Yeah. The, I was thinking when you were talking about relapse, you know, around some movements you know of recovery it's like relapse seems like it's labeled as a failure or like you've you've got something wrong or something like that and it's almost like such such a big deal something to avoid you know whereas what you're saying is it's like which which seems kind of common sense you know that it's just a part of change you know that it's like that happens experimenting with and and having realizations of you know what it was about how it happened you know and, and being it just seems like something that gives you an opportunity to see things a little bit differently yeah well think about it this way <clears throat> let's say you get a new job okay and it's in a different location so now you have a different route to work and i've experienced this a few times you know, you know shortly after job changes where i'm driving to the old job I'm kind of on autopilot. I just get up in the morning, I start driving. Next thing I know, I'm heading toward the old job. It doesn't mean I still work there. Hmm. It just means that there was a habit and I followed it. So just because we go back to using a drug or to drinking or whatever does not mean we're back to it. It just means we did it that one time. And to make a bigger deal out of it than that, just creates more of those bad feelings. Then we get the guilt and the shame and the remorse and all that stuff that comes along with it. And nobody likes to feel that stuff. <laughs> so then, then we're just that much more likely to get high. So just realizing that that's all it is, is that old habit popping up, nothing more. It is not an indicator of, of where you're heading. Past behavior is no more an indication of future behavior than a lottery ticket is of financial gain. Yeah, it, it's, you know, it sounds so simple, you know, and, and it is, you know, it's kind of like, I know Sid, Sid Banks talks about simplicity, you know, it's kind of like that, it, that it, you know, oh no, in the psychology, it looks like it must, much be, it must be much more complicated than that, you know, but actually it's just so simple. But, you know, to anyone listening, it's like it, they may have struggled with this for years. You know, they may have been in the depths of rep repetitive cycles and substance abuse and process addictions, you know, for years and, and, and not be able to get out of it, you know, and, and, you know, not wanting to discredit how real that looks in the moment. You know, it's like it, 
it, it looks really real when you're in it, right? I mean, it's, it's painful. It's, it's monotonous. It's difficult. It's stressful. You know, the, the, there's, you know, people really get stuck in that, don't they? Yeah. And this is really simple, but that doesn't necessarily make it easy. Yeah. This understanding it's, you know, understanding these principles, these are the, you know, spiritual principles. They're spiritual laws, just like in the physical world, we have thermodynamics and gravity and all that kind of stuff. And it, it's impersonal. Gravity is doing what it does, whether you understand gravity or not. And just like with the three principles, we don't truly understand gravity on an intellectual level. We can measure it and stuff, but nobody really knows what it is and, and exactly where it comes from. We just know that it's there and we can experience it. And gravity doesn't really care if we're walking down the street or if we're falling flat on our face. It just does what it does. What these principles are pointing toward is simply how we experience life. And it's through thought. There isn't a, a single thing that we experience that isn't through our own thinking, that isn't filtered through our own belief systems. So it's not, we're not really upset at, at what the person said to us or what the person did. We're upset about what we think about what they said or what they did. And it, it sounds like a, a minor thing, but it's such a, a dramatic change when you really see it. Like when you first start riding a bike and you, and you finally figure out how to balance on it. And then you go for that first really long bike ride. And you, you know, it's, it's kind of like that when you, when you finally actually experience these principles in action and you start to see it, like you said, paying attention to when you started feeling relief, simple things like that, just noticing it, it makes all the difference in the world and it makes things a lot less personal. But when we're, when we're stuck in the addiction initially, we're we're being misled by society into believing that there's something wrong with us and that something has to be changed, that we're sick, that we're diseased, that there, there's something going on that isn't right. But what's really happening is that we're already well and healthy and happy, except that we've created this story that we're not. And Joe Bailey talks about it really well in his book, The Serenity Principle. And he talks there, I'm just paraphrasing, but he says that serenity is our natural state of being when we stop doing the things that take us away from it. We just naturally return to that place when we stop creating those stories about why we need that relief and why we need to reach out for whatever it is that we're addicted to. And, and the vast majority of people at some point in their life experience some sort of level of addiction. It may not be to drugs and alcohol. It could be to a person. It could be codependency. I need this person in my life or I need a person in my life to be happy. You know, if I'm single, I, I can't possibly be happy. I have to be in a relationship. I have to have a bunch of friends. I have to have this, I have to have that. Those, those are all addictions. And they're all innocent, just like any other one. There's no, there's no real difference at the core between somebody who's addicted to shopping and somebody who's addicted to heroin. 
it's all cause the cause is the same. The symptoms are different. Yes, the symptoms are very different. You know, the, the symptoms of shopping too much are that you don't have any money and you've got closets packed full of clothes that you never wear kind of thing. You know, so obviously the, the symptoms are very different, but the cause is the same. It's just an innocent attempt to feel better. And if we already felt better, we wouldn't need to reach out for anything. Yeah. Many people seem to go down the route of, I was kind of wondering about the difference between, you know, I guess what people might be wondering is the difference between psychological and spiritual recovery, you know, because there's many like psycho psychological, you know, psychotherapy, therapies, treatments, part of the 12 steps, you know, that sort of really dig into the psychology and the past and, and, and look at things through that. And then, you know, the three principles, which is a spiritual approach, you know, to, to seeing who we, who we are innately, like you said, you know, we're all serenity is our innate place, you know, when we get out of our own way, basically, you know, like what do you see as the difference between the, the two approaches? Because the psychological has been somewhat successful in a lot of ways and the 12 steps has been somewhat successful as well. You know? Yeah. The, the reason that, they're successful when they are is because there really is no difference between the two, except that they're just, they're different angles on the same thing. They're different viewpoints on the same thing. The, what we're talking about today is looking at addiction from the standpoint of it just being a simple misunderstanding mm. that we can, you know, we can correct with, you know, just some, some gentle, compassionate pointing in the right direction. Whereas the psychological side looks at symptoms, groups them together, calls them a disease, and then goes about treating the symptoms. They've completely missed the cause in most cases. They're just looking at symptoms and trying to ease those and get rid of the symptoms and, and the beauty of this approach that we're talking about here is that once you get this, once you get the core cause corrected, the symptoms all disappear. So you don't need to treat symptoms. It's, it's like when you're hungry, just trying to find ways to get rid of the hunger pain. Well, what we're saying is just eat. Yeah. That's it. Just eat. It's that simple. <laughs> There's different understandings in both fields though of the of the you know of the word cause, isn't there? I mean like in the in the psychological and 12 step approach it's like the cause is in your past psychology, you know. So let's let's go through your psychology and let's look at the pain from your trauma and childhood what you've suffered and the cause what we're saying from this understanding is that like it's a misunderstanding of the mind it's it's a misunderstanding of how the mind works of how thought creates reality right right I mean, let, let's look at it from a different perspective so let's say growing up my parents never taught me how to handle money okay so i get out on my own i'm 18 i go get my first apartment i have a job you know, or maybe I'm, you know, 20 something, I'm out of college, whatever. 
and I get out on my own for the first time and I fall flat on my face financially. I can't handle it. At that point in time, yeah, it's probably our parents' fault. They could have taught us. But when I'm 40 and I'm still not handling my money right, is that really my parents' fault anymore? I may have continued to blame them for that 20 years. But the fact of the matter is, when I got out on my own and realized I didn't know how to handle money, all I had to do was reach out and find somebody who knew how to handle money and learn from them. But instead, I can just keep blaming my parents and going through life not able to handle money and just say, well, my parents never taught me to. So, you know, how am I, how can you expect me to handle money? It's the same thing with what we're talking about is that we never really taught what emotions are and how to handle them. And we keep going through life and we get on our own and, and we go, oh man, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know how to handle life. I'm going to stick a needle in my arm. I'm going to, I'm going to smoke this substance. I'm going to go have sex with people. I don't know. And you know, all, all these different things that we do in, in an innocent attempt to correct that feeling. But all we need to realize, and if, if we were taught this growing up, it would change so much, which is why I'm excited about some of the new programs that are out there in schools nowadays. We're, we're getting this message out to younger kids, but it's just the thought feeling connection is something that is vital to living a, a, a happier life, which is realizing that what we feel is a direct result of our current thinking. It's not that our thinking causes a feeling, they are one and the same. And where that really comes in handy is when we're looking at subconscious thoughts, like these addictive patterns. Because we can't always see the thought, but we will always have the feeling. There is no exception to that. So when the feeling is there, know that the thought is there. When the feeling is there that I need to go get high, that is, that is the beginning thought. And that's where, like we talked about earlier, you have that thought, you have the feeling that comes along with it, then you make the decision to go get high. And it's not like you're sitting there going, well, I'm gonna go get high. No, you just pick up the phone and call your drug dealer, or you just drive to the store and get the booze, or you just do whatever. But it's the reason you start feeling better right away is because you change that thought. And the feeling that comes along with it changes with it. Yeah. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, in your experience of like, do you see or have you seen people who come from, you know, a real struggle on the streets or struggling with an, uh, you know, a daily addiction, something that they might do daily, get this understanding and see things more clearly and have an experience of recovery or whatever you would call it, you know, from that. I've seen quite a few. One, uh, one in particular, actually, a, a local guy that I met a couple of years ago, a few years back, and he was 
for a few years caught up in the legal system because he just couldn't stay away from the drugs and alcohol. And every time he'd finally get out of a, a treatment program or jail or, or whatever they had him in, it would be a very short time before he'd back in, before he'd get caught drunk driving again or something like that. And he's right back into the legal system. And it, it was pretty amazing to watch him, you know, when I started working with him, to watch how quickly a lot of that stuff started changing. And suddenly he was, he was looking forward to getting a job instead of dreading it like before because he had a couple of felonies and it's really difficult to find work when you have you know, that kind of a criminal record. But then suddenly he had some hope and he started looking at apartments and he started, you know, it, it, it was great watching the progression of it and watching him just because it's, it's, it's these, a lot of times, I like to call them popcorn insights. They're just these little bursts of wisdom that come to us. And we don't know where they come from, and they, they may not, we may not even notice it right away. We usually notice it when, they're, when a bunch of them kind of accumulate together, and we kind of wake up one day and realize that their life is different. Hmm. Nothing has changed, but everything's different. We see the world differently. It's like a new pair of glasses. And anybody who wears glasses or contacts will remember that first time they went to the eye doctor. And when they put on that pair of glasses and saw clearly for the first time, it's such an amazing experience. And that's what this understanding provides for us when we really truly see how this works it brings a clarity to life like we've never seen before and there's a certain ease and comfort it doesn't mean that you know bad things don't happen and that we don't have to deal with stuff that makes us feel uncomfortable or, or angry or sad or whatever it's just that while going through those things we realize that it's it's transient it's temporary it's just part of the human experience, and it doesn't mean we're doing anything wrong. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with us. It just means that right now, this is what I feel, and it's part of the, the palette of colors that we get to experience in life. So this idea that to be happy all the time, you know, and, and joyful is just part of what creates more suffering for us because we've created this expectation that we should be a certain way. When we're not that way, then we're disappointed. We're upset. We throw a little hissy fit like a kid sometimes and stomp our feet. <laughs> I, want, I want things to be different, you know? And it, it's, it, it's just part of the experience. Just like riding a roller coaster, you have to have the downs and the ups to make it fun. Who would ride a roller coaster that was just flat and straight? To me, it's part of the fun of life, is getting to experience all of it and to be able to go through the highs and the lows with that same feeling of ease and comfort. In my other business, you know, a lot of people 
are searching for help for loved ones you know like it's often the people looking to help somebody with addiction is somebody close to them somebody who cares about them you know more more than the person who's struggling with the addiction you know one of the one of the biggest questions is always like how can i help somebody that i care for that's that's suffering with an addiction give them passion focus on what's what's good about them or what you love about them and I, I know it sounds counterintuitive but do your best to ignore the addiction don't bring any light to it just pay attention to what you know is there already and we all know that that's why we feel like other people should be in a better place because somehow we know at a deeper level that they're already there there's just this thing kind of covering it up. So it's really, nobody, nobody can be forced to stop using something. Mm -hmm. And maybe physically, you know, obviously if you get thrown in prison, you're, you know, and you have no access to it, no choice. But when you get out, and you're back into the world and, and you've got that ability to get what you what you want. That's when it all matters. That's when this really kicks in. It's it's like I, I see so many people go through a treatment program and they're, they're no longer physically addicted to the substance. And yet they feel like they are. And I think a lot of it is because we're, you know, People are told when they go into treatment that they're sick and they're diseased and they're always going to be, and that it's going to be this constant struggle for the rest of their lives just to stay sober one more day. There's not really any hope in that. You know, where, where's the hope in a constant struggle? There's just a simple change of perception can remove the struggle. Yeah, I think people get some sense of relief from being given a label, you know, at the time when they when they enter treatment, it's like, oh, now I know what's wrong with me. You know, I've got this disease, it's incurable. And, um, you know, I have to go to meetings for the rest of my life. But if I do that, you know, I'll, I'll have some sense of okayness in the world, you know. And, and it's almost like... Um, they're really missing. They're really missing out on what's really available from life. You know, when they're given that that label, that diagnosis, I, I, and that was true for me in my own experience. That, yeah, I had some change. You know, I I, I achieved a long time. You know, more than a couple of decades of of sobriety. You know, of freedom from drugs and alcohol. But like, there was still something inside me that was that was like, you know, I was still going to meetings and dealing with my addiction as a disease thinking that I had to keep going otherwise I would die you know as I was told and that I would you know I would use drugs again now while today the way I look at it is you know my wisdom is clear to me you know it's not a good idea for me to take drugs you know it's kind of like I see that you know but like I don't think I'm broken or there's anything wrong with me and I don't need to label myself as anything wrong and and the difference of, of my life experience has changed you know, somewhat unrecognizably, you know, to the point where, you know, 
almost 99 days out of 100, I wake up excited about life and happy, you know, and, 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 and amazing things are happening and I'm meeting cool people and all this shit that I believed about myself for, for these years in recovery just has disappeared and I don't even think about, you know, so it's, it's a completely different experience to me. Yeah, definitely. Same thing for me. You know, I, I was in AA when I came across the three principles. And I'd been sober for about three and a half, four years at that point. And I was miserable. I hadn't had a drink or drug, but man, I didn't know how to handle life. I didn't know how to deal with, with all this stuff going on. And, and you know, how, just how do you deal with depression when it's there? You know, that sort of thing. And it, it was it was such a game changer for me to come across this understanding and and just to realize that I am in control of my future. And it isn't something really complicated. It's really the simple misunderstanding of how we experience life, you know, and we, we create a story about ourselves. When we're born, we don't have that story. You know, you watch little kids and, you know, let's say they're, they're playing and they, you know, they fall and skin their knee or something. They'll stop and they'll cry and they'll go through whatever the emotion is at that moment. And then when they're done crying, guess what? They just go back to playing. But then the well-meaning parent steps in and says, oh, no, you skinned your knee. It could get infected. We have to go clean it up. We have to do this. We have to do that. And then suddenly the child thinks it's a big deal that they skin their knee. And that becomes part of the story. And the next time they skin their knee, suddenly they're worried about it. Oh, it could get infected. I need to go get this taken care of. I need to go find my mom. And there it starts. It's all innocent. Nobody's doing it, you know, intentionally to harm each other. We all think that this is the best way to go through life, you know, to warn other people about things. And in some ways it is, you know, it's, it's a good idea to tell people to stay away from the edge of a cliff. <laughs> you know, that's just a good idea. Don't get too close. You might fall off, you know, but when, when the story is created behind it and it, it, changes from stay away from the edge of the cliff you might fall off to stay away from the edge of the cliff there's a demon there and he's going to come out and get you those are two very different things and yet there's many times in life that we're told there's a demon and there actually isn't there may be danger there but it's not because of anything except for just something that you know like i said it's a cliff don't get too close you know, but as society, people like their stories. Yeah. It makes it more interesting. You know, we've all played the, the telephone game, right? Where you whisper something to the person next to you and they whisper it and they whisper it. And by the time it gets back around, it's a totally different story. It's a totally different sentence. So we have lots of things that, that are generally accepted by society as being true. But just because something is generally accepted does not make it right or true. It only makes it generally accepted. 
Yeah. And I, and I think the good thing about this understanding is that, you know, while in what I witnessed was that, you know, in, in other recovery programs, people would, people would be able to sustain um, abstinence but they would be miserable and depressed and anxious and pick up other addictions that seemed like a healthy addiction or a somewhat acceptable addiction because it wasn't taking drugs, you know, and it wasn't taking them to jail. But the quality of their life wasn't, you know, wasn't happy and joyous and free. You know, it was miserable and depressed, you know, a lot of the time and, and just getting by. And, and what I've seen is the beauty of this understanding is that, you know, it, it everything changes, you know, like you said, you know, everything looks different. You get a new pair of glasses, you know, depression all of a sudden doesn't seem a thing. Anxiety seems to disappear, you know, um, struggles seem to get easier. You know, it, not only does it give you a clear mind about what addiction really is and, and what's available in life, but it, it covers everything, you know, it's not limited to just addiction, right? Right. So that, yeah, that is the thing. I mean, it, I've become a better worker hmm. because I'm not, I'm not going through all of the stress that all my coworkers are going through. Yes. I have the same daily challenges that they have, but they take it as a stressful thing. And I take it as just what it is. It's a challenge. And I work through the challenge and I get it done. And it's, it's, been actually a, a pretty cool experience to have you know other people that I'm working with come up to me and say how do you get through this without getting all stressed you know because it will be in a what would be considered a stressful situation and everybody else is kind of freaking out and I'm standing there calm and usually laughing and making jokes <laughs> because that's I, I don't see the point in getting caught up in in that drama of the stress and stuff it just takes more energy and it distracts us from our wisdom. And that's where the real answer comes from. Those times when you're, you're kind of, you know, you're just relaxed and quiet and suddenly the answer comes to you for some problem that you've had for a while. Something you've been trying to figure out and suddenly it just pops into your head. But we can't really control when those happen, when those insights occur, but we can make them more likely to happen by not getting so caught up in what's going on around us. And one thing that really helped me see that was actually, uh, it was one of Eckhart Tolle's books where he talked about, uh, he's talked about ways of being more mindful, being more in the present moment. And, he brought up something really simple. I liked it because it was simple and it didn't require a special pillow and a special spot to sit and all that kind of stuff. It just said, pay attention to what you're doing throughout the day when you're, when you're doing mundane tasks like washing your hands or taking a shower or doing dishes, things like that that don't require thought. You've done them enough times that it's just muscle memory, it's automatic. Take that time, like when you're washing your hands, and pay attention to what the water feels like, what the soap feels like, what it smells like, but don't judge it. Just notice it. And it was a, a huge game changer for me because that when you're when you're looking at life without 
the story behind it without adding to it with, well, there's this thing in front of me, but because of my past experience, I, I see that thing as bad. You know, for people who've been attacked by a, a certain kind of dog, like a pit bull or something like that, every pit bull they see is going to be a vicious animal, right? Whereas my experience is most of the pit bulls I've come in contact with are pretty nice dogs. You know, it's more dependent on how they're trained and how they're raised. But that person will carry that story that all pit bulls are evil and mean and aggressive and, and nasty animals. And we do that with everything in life. We come up with all these stories about stuff and it limits our experience because then we're not even willing to try certain things because it looks like something else that we've gone through. And I, I see that with people that I, I try to introduce to this understanding and it's part of the reason I don't really talk too much about, you know, mind consciousness and thought because they're just intellectual concepts pointing to something. And people have heard all of those words before and they have preconceived ideas of what they mean. And it's different for each person, you know, but what we're talking about is, is what's before the content of our thinking and what's, you know, the, the, these principles are, are the basic fundamental building blocks of human psychology. They exist before any kind of form. And there's a, a certain beauty and simplicity to that that can't be found in any other understanding. And there's, like I said, there's that peace of mind and that ease and comfort that it brings that I never experienced with any of the other things that I tried. And not even just with addiction, but just with life in general. I always had social anxiety. And I kind of, I added that to my story. That's part of who I am. That's just how I'm going to be. I'm always going to be anxious in social situations. That's, you know, that's why I would get high and, and drunk and stuff was to kind of relieve that anxiety. But now it's like I can walk up to random people and just strike up a conversation and feel pretty comfortable with it. And the only thing that changed was my perception. So it does apply to everything in life. I mean, it's just across the board makes everything so much less personal and less like intense, you know, and for, for people who've been diagnosed with something, whatever it is with addiction or, or mental illness or whatever, it is not a permanent thing. There's some kind of disruption now. And yes, science can look at your brain and say, look, their brain chemistry has changed. Well, yeah, it only takes about three minutes of stressful thinking to change your brain chemistry. You start producing stress hormones and you start feeling physically ill within usually about three minutes. And you, and you figure most people are doing that for 16 or 18 hours a day. So yeah, it's to create some symptoms. But the symptoms are not the cause. And there was a, you know, there was a, a good 
there was a good thing that came from addiction originally being deemed a disease when alcoholism was was you know first introduced into uh, the medical community and what it did was it brought compassion to people who had previously just been considered moral screw-ups moral failures so it took it took that like oh that guy's just a loser he you know he, he's not worth anything and it took it to a place where it was like oh okay well maybe they're not a horrible person you know they just they just have this problem but it kind of stopped there and it should have kept evolving which is what we're talking about now is the the evolution of addiction recovery this is you know <laughs> this is where it's at you know there there's there's other there's other approaches that can work sometimes or at least appear to work sometimes and for some people it does and that's great but we're talking about usually those approaches only deal with one particular area like we're just dealing with okay today is just you know like if you go to aa you only talk about alcohol so yeah, I put down the alcohol, I put down the booze, but now I'm overdoing caffeine and I can't sleep at night. So now I'm tired all the time and I'm groggy and depressed and anxious and I need more coffee just to get through the day. And then it causes me to lose more sleep. You know, we'll, we'll overlook that. You can have your coffee addiction, but not the alcohol addiction. Whereas this approach, it's not even really an approach, it's just an understanding. It relieves all of it. Maybe not necessarily all at once. You know, most of us have what what uh, what I've heard called the educational variety experience, where things happen, you know, slowly and over time, rather than like Sid had the you know the one big experience, you know, and kind of changed pretty much everything in his life all in an instant. And we we're all capable of having that. It's just, I, I believe it all comes down to how willing we are to let go of our story. To quit comparing things. And that's why I think that that exercise that Eckhart Tolle talked about is useful. Because it kind of teaches us to look at things without adding the story to it. And that's really when our perspective on life starts to change. Because we're no longer holding on to the past and projecting it into the future. We're just looking at what's here now. Yeah, it's a whole different perspective being in the now, isn't it? Just seeing life through what's happening right here and now in this moment, rather than being sat in your story or anxious about the future. You know, it's two, it's two completely different experiences of life. Right. Cool. Well, this has been an amazing conversation. So many pearls of wisdom, you know, and so much clear and great understanding. I've, I've, I've really enjoyed this. So, like, if people want to hear more from you, you know, where, where, can they, where can they hear more about what you're doing or find out what you're doing? Well, uh, my email address is uh, gregsuki at gmail.com. It's G-R-E-G-S-U-C-H-Y at gmail.com so feel free to email me um, I 
also uh, been doing a podcast or a webinar series for about two and a half years now with uh, with my co-host Harry Derbitsky. We've been having a lot of fun with that. Uh, so we have a uh, Facebook group and a YouTube channel, and both are called Addiction, Alcoholism, and the Three Principles. And uh, both Harry and I are, are available for free coaching. And you know, if anybody really needs some help, reach out. We're here. Cool. More than happy to help. Thanks very much, Greg. Oh, thank you, Jason. Take care.